Hello, I'm Jacquet, and you're tuning in to Rethink. This is a special radio airing where high school students select topic of interest and apply a racial equity lens so that together we rethink what we've been told about these topics in order to envision liberation. Again, I'm Jacquet, and this is Aiden uh, and Herman. We'll be talking about the war and genocide in Palestine, the origins of um, I don't even want to call it a conflict, but the origins of this current war and the longstanding conflict. Um, but before we do, I would like us to take some time to reflect on something that has value to us. And then you'll see how this is connected to the, to the bigger picture here. So my question to you, Aiden and Herman, and anyone listening, is what is something that belongs to you that you love? I love my computer, just because it allows me to do a lot of things that need to be done. If that answers the question. Okay. So the second uh, part of that question. Oh, Aiden, Aiden, would you like to add on? Oh, for, yeah, for physical, I'd probably say my bike just because, like, it helps me stay active. It helps me go places. And I, I use it almost every day. So, yeah. Okay, that makes my sense. Bike. So thank, thank you both for sharing. So the second part of that question is, now let's imagine, right? So Herman, you have your computer. Let's, oh. And then Aiden, you have your bike. Imagine that a stranger, right, someone just walking on the street, comes to you and says, oh, I'm taking that. I'm going to go give it to my friend. How would you react? Like, what would be your immediate reaction? <laughs> Shock, probably. Yeah, I'd probably be shocked. I'd be like, one, where'd they come from? Two, I'd probably start chasing them down and get my bike back. But, yeah. Anger? That, like, like immediate? Like, yeah, probably, like, anger. Shock. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be my. Because, like, yeah. why are you touching my... First of all, why are you touching my stuff? And, and it literally, like, what? Not, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Okay. So we all seem to be on the same page that this idea that taking something that does not belong to you and then either taking it for yourself or giving it to someone else brings up natural human emotions of, like, anger, frustration. Right now, I mean, no, you didn't say you'd fight back, but you'd either go chase them. You'd find a way to get it back, right? Because it means something to you. Mm -hmm. You're not just going to pass it off and say, oh, go ahead and take it. Um, I asked this question because on a like foundational level, this is the origins of Israel. Um, it is, so before we go in, right? I, I, I want to like kind of expand on that. So let's just sit with like, this is how it was created. Someone said, hey, you know what? I think that this group of people should be here. Even though this already belongs to someone else, I'm going to find a way to make it yours. And then if you start resisting me, you are the problem, right? But imagine that. Imagine someone saying to you, I took your bike, I took your computer, I took your food, your family, and now you're the problem. Um, so that brings me to the next question is, um, you know, something that's really important and that we try to do a rethink is to build off of the knowledge you already have, because you already know so much, whether it's your personal experience, what you've heard. So before I kind of like do all this talking, I'd love to know, what do you know about the origins of Palestine and Israel? Okay, um, I can start. Back in my debate class, it was um, a few months ago, maybe like last year, we were talking about Zionism, right? And the impacts that it had in uh, Palestine, I think, because the Palestines were originally living there, situated there, and then the Jewish people went and they took, well, they essentially forced them out of their own home, right? And then, you know, took it over and then wouldn't allow them to come back in and claimed that they didn't have any ownership of it, even though they were working there, living there. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. What about you, Aiden? Is there anything that you've learned? I also want to give props to your, to your debate um, coach or teacher for actually having that discussion with you, right? And that's so important to distinguish um, especially before we go further into this conversation and for everyone listening, to distinguish the difference between Zionism and like Jewish people, right? Zionism is a movement, is a thought process, a belief that not all Jewish people have, right? And you can be very like um, against anti-Semitism and supporting Jewish people and at the same time stand against Zionism, right? So I wanted to just um, put that out there. So thank you for that. And what about you, Aiden? Is there anything that you've learned or even that you don't know about? 
I know that even before these like these recent attacks, I think the ones there are some attacks in September that were even like before these uh very recent attacks, the ones that killed many, many people. There were more attacks before that that kind of sparked. And I think it goes even farther back. I'm just I just know like these recent attacks weren't the first ones. Mm, yeah. yeah. Thank you for sharing that. And you are correct um, that as we talk about, and that's why I said I don't even want to call it a conflict at this point right now. This is war. This is genocide because, you know, one side has more power and resources than the other. Um, but as we think about how we got here, right, we keep hearing like, OK, October, October. And, you know, what happened? What about Hamas? But there's a long standing history before that date. Um, and that is exactly where I'd like to start. So. Zionism um, is the belief and movement for Jewish people to have their own nation state and specifically to have this place be called Israel and for it to be the only Jewish state in the world. So what the media and Zionists called Israel, right, like if you hear about like, oh, Israel and Hamas, Ismail and Gaza, um, has historically been the land of Palestinians that Palestinians have called home for generations. If you look at a, a map, whether it's in a textbook or online, you interestingly enough only see Israel on the map, right? So I one want to think like just start thinking internally about what that says that your family has been in a place for a long time. They don't even acknowledge it, right? Like imagine the area you live in in Atlanta and they were like, oh, that's calling it something else. Like this, this doesn't exist. You're essentially saying like these people, these cultures, these practices, like they don't exist. Um Okay, so here's something that was very interesting to me, which is that prior to Jewish people settling in Palestine, they were actually offered Uganda or Kenya, which is in Africa, right? Um, and I don't know, did, did either of you know that? Or is this like a new fact? Never heard of it before. <laughs> yeah, it's a pretty new fact to me. So... Now, the question you're probably asking is like, what? Why? How did? <laughs> how would that even make? I mean, I'm confused, too. Um, and this actually started with the Uganda project. So in 1902, British leadership said this is quotes, right? This is actually from a book. Um, and I recommend if anyone can read the book that is successful online. And the book is called In the Shadows of the Struggle. So in the book, there's a quote. And again, this is like super old. So this is actually taken from um, a conversation that was had. And it says, on my travels, I saw a country for you. That, well, let's just like really sit with that sentence. I saw a country for you. So the person that was receiving this message was the leader of the Zionist movement. And then a person sharing, oh, on my travels, I saw a country for you. And the country is Uganda. I think this would be a perfect place for your movement and for your people. Again, was Chamberlain, right? He was the British, um, I guess he was prime minister. Um, so he said that. Now, I mean, when I read that sentence to you, like, I guess what came to your mind about this idea of all my travels, I saw a country for you. Right. Um, I think that, well, you can't really decide for someone. Well, someone who has no, like, point in being in the conversation, right, who has no value in the conversation, like no foot in the door, cannot describe or not cannot decide where someone else should be. One, because you're not that person, you don't know their preference. You probably don't understand the historical significance of it. And, you know, you have no right at the end of the day because it's definitely not your decision at all. Like, I understand, like, trying to mediate the problem or something, but, like, you can't just go on and decide, hey, well, you know, this is yours, you know, because I feel like giving this to you. That's, just, you know, unfair, in my opinion. Yeah. Go ahead, Aiden. I feel like that would be causing a mass migration as not only would I feel like that would tear families and friends apart, but also there could also be other people already living there, which may cause a conflict. Yes, yes. And you are like two steps ahead, right? So Uganda didn't happen because um, the leader of the Zionist movement said, no, I, I really want to have Israel be my home in modern day Palestine, right? Like I don't want Uganda, no thanks. Um, that's not part of my larger plan. So everything that you just shared is really what's playing out today and what's been playing out for years, right? A conflict, people already live there. 
I mean, how can you just say, oh, I think this should be yours now? Um, <laughs> so before we get there, I want to share something else that's really important because I think we talk about in this space, this idea of like Sankofa, right? Which is to go back and fetch it, to think about how did we get here and why? And in order to know how we got to Israel, Palestine, um, and why Zionist, Zionism was even created, right? Because we haven't talked about that. You you said you learned about Zionism, and but we didn't talk about why. So there were um, a series of unfortunate events that did that did lead to the creation of Zionism, um, and some of those things were, quite frankly, it was because of anti-Semitism, right? Because Jewish people were persecuted. Um, they were dehumanized and they were seeking a place to call their own, right? So you have a group of people that were being oppressed um, in Russia, you know, in Germany, as like you think about the Holocaust, all of these experiences. Um, and that, that does something, right? That's the following is a public affairs bulletin board announcement brought to you by your listener sponsored and supported community radio, 89.3 FM, WRFG.org, your station for progressive information and handpicked quality music. Celebrating 50 years of independent, progressive information and hand-picked quality music. The Auburn Avenue Research Library on African American Culture and History proudly presents the following events to conclude our 2023 events calendar. The Auburn Avenue Research Library concludes the year with its annual Kwanzaa celebration, featuring the dynamic all-sister dance ensemble, Hiwayan Mata. This event takes place at Drew Charter School Auditorium on Saturday, December 30th at 3 p.m. with moderator Dr. Chike Akua. Additional information is available at FultonCountyLibrary.org, F-U-L-C-O, Library.org, slash Auburn Avenue Research Library. Thanks for your support and happy holidays. That does something to your soul, to your spirit, to your ability to be with your family. Um, so you kind of have like these physical as well as, you know, spiritual impacts of being um, kind of perse persecuted and dehumanized. Um, and then, But there was one like specific turning point. And that was like this Russian program in which Russians murdered Jews. They placed them in concentration camps um, and trigger warning sexual assault. They raped women and they beheaded babies. Um, and that operated, right, that, that time period, um, when that happened was really the turning point for the leader of Zionism. And he was like, we can't do this anymore. Like, my people need to leave. They need to be somewhere that's safe, um, where they can, you know, where they feel safe, a sense of safety and a sense of home. Okay. So that event occurs. Let's fast forward, right? We have 1902, where the British leadership said, I have a place for you. Then the event occurred um, in Russia. And then we now move forward to 1919. In 1919, and this is, if any of you take anything from this conversation, it is to remember this. And that is the Balfour Declaration. So in 1919, the Balfour Declaration was signed um, and it was a British mandate. And it said, I, we will give Jewish people the land of Palestine. We will support their migration or settling of this place, and this will be their home, which they can leave their self. They will have like their own political system, right? Everything, this, these are their acres. Um, they went to the point of even saying like, oh, here are the acres that you can have, right? And again, people already live there. So now we have that signed. We start to notice a huge influx of Jewish people to Palestine. Going back to what you said, Aiden, which is, well, what would happen if someone's already living there and saying, I'm going to take this because I think it's mine, but it's really yours, right? No one, we talked about human emotion. No one is just going to say, you know what? Here you go. Just take it. Unless what? What situations or things would need to arise in order for you to just say, I'm going to hand you my bike and move back. I'm going to hand you my computer and move back. Uh, maybe a situation where they're being threatened. Or maybe not even threatened, but like um over overpowered in a sense. Like if they feel a sense of like hopelessness, like, hey, I can't really do anything about this, then it'd be well, I'm just gonna let it go at this point. Like if I'm in a fight and I see someone that's five times bigger than me, I'm not gonna fight him for the computer. That's just a losing battle. I'm just gonna like, hey, you know, I'll see what else I can do, maybe an alternative, but 
I'm not going to forcefully try to get it back. That's, that's a really good point because both of those speak to things that we see playing out today. One is this idea of like self-determination and saying, I am not going to let you intimidate me, crush my spirit. I'm going to keep fighting, right? I'm going to keep resisting. Um, and the other thing is saying like, you know what? You have way more, you've, you've placed violence upon me and I can't respond to this level of violence, right? Like you have now my computer, you probably have a weapon and I have nothing. So how am I going to possibly fight you? So that brings us to now what happened. What happened when we have a large influx of Jewish people coming to and settling in a place that is not theirs? And then that came 1948, 1948, between 1948 and I think 1949. So there was a war, a terrible war in which Israel killed, or I guess Zionists, killed 15,000 Palestinians and 750,000 Palestinians were made refugees out of a 1.9 million population. Uh, that, that's crazy. 750,000, yeah, as well. At this point, they have now taken 78% of historic Palestine. So buildings are being demolished. The land, people are being removed from the land. So, so not only people are being murdered, but or was then ethnically cleansed, right? That's a lot of people. Whoever's alive needs to leave. And this um also creates a sort of... Uh, diaspora diaspora sorry i can't pronounce the word but like you know like they dispersed of all of them into like different places and so like some of them were put in places where they shouldn't have been or where they couldn't thrive in or couldn't live in and they already had a system of like economy set up so they had to find a way to go past that or or recreate it in some places where they couldn't and that caused problems also that's that's a really good point and then even thinking about now, now I'm like connecting that you said about, well, if you have everything and I feel defeated, right? Like my spirit feels crushed. I'm not going to like, just think about that. Imagine someone taking everything you have, wiping out bloodlines and you're like, oh, I have to go set up somewhere else. I mean that the level of like courage and resi- resilience that that takes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's, that's different. No food, no house, no family. Just, Yeah. So that period, right, occurred, like I said, that 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 war um, or genocide, ethnic cleansing occurred during that year. Right. And that was probably the most that was the deadliest, the most viral other um, atrocities occurred on like different magnitudes for several years. So it wasn't just this goes back to Aiden said. Right. Okay, I know it started before October, like it had to happen for 2023. And now we've just briefly went over that history. Um, Are there any parallels? that you all think of or know about to the massacre that happened then, right? As I talk about the people that were killed, that were made refugees, any parallels to like what happened during that time to what you have heard or seen is happening now? Well, uh, the destruction of, well, I want to say, I want to start by saying first, the, the difference is the biggest difference is that now they're not able to leave, right? Because, um, you know, before, yeah, duras, di- I'm going to get the word. But diaspora or diaspora dispersing of the people, right? They're able to go wherever they need to go. But now it's like, yeah, dia- diaspora. Diaspora. Uh-huh. Diaspora. Oh, okay, diaspora. Yeah. But now it's like they're they're stuck there because their only entrance, their only exit is blocks. Now the similarities with it would be the destruction of the buildings and the killing of the people and the massacres, and the the yeah, like the villages being destroyed and the conquering. Those are all similarities that are all still negative, really bad. Yeah. And that would be the only difference to me. Maybe the magnitude. Uh, well, yeah. I don't think they're getting, in this war, I don't think they're getting a lot of help. So that'd be maybe a difference. Like with the 1919 tree, the you know, the British helped them. But now it's like those two fighting with a little outside help. Well, the British, I want to clarify. So you say, when you're saying the British helped them, you're saying the British helped the Palestinians? Uh, no, I'm saying the British helped the Jewish people. Yes. Oh, so you're saying, but no, but then it's similar. Because who's helping Israel right now? Oh. Uh, I'm not sure the the Europe, right? What have you heard any of the clips of what Biden said or has said? No. Okay, so let's do a quick. Aiden, do you do you know? I know he's been trying to uh, offer help. I don't know how specifically, but I believe he's been sending resources. But I'm not completely sure. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, I did know. That. Yeah. Okay. You're right. I thought we were talking about somebody else though. But yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So now you have right. So if anything. <laughs> then you point out there's even more parallels. You had, and that's honestly very 
good example to pull from. So 1948 or before that, right, the creation of um, the Balfour Declaration in 1919, you have the British who are saying, oh, I'm going to make sure this is your land. But now you have the United States and several other global leaders saying, I'm going to make sure that this stays Israel's land. And the way that we're doing that, I don't even want to say it's different, honestly, because it's quite similar. But the way that we're doing that is by sending money, like literally funding Israel. Right. So um, this is from October. But there was an aid package that Biden wanted to have approved. And the aid package would include one hundred and five million dollars to support both Ukraine and Israel. That's a lot of money. Indeed. Yeah. A lot of money that could be going somewhere else or, you know, since we're already in a deficit of spending, you know, that would definitely be better allocated somewhere else. Well, I won't say that, but at least it could be used for, even if it was for the same cause, maybe with a better plan in mind or a clear goal so that we could see like the, the end of it, or at least begin like see the end result. Yeah. And I think as we think about, you mean in result in terms of like how money would be best using in the United States? Uh, well, how it would be used in well in the United States or in general? Like if it's going to be used there, then at least let us see the end of it, right? Like the end result of the war, or if not the war, then the end result of something that it could be used in the United States. Got it. So to, I want to make sure I clarify that I don't want to misinterpret saying that the money should be used to help in the war uh yeah I, I would say that yeah okay so that's a wonderful um i'm glad you come to that um because that's not what the united states right who's a partner in this with israel would use the money for the proposed spending um according to this cnn politics article is that 3.7 billion dollars would be used for the state department to strengthen israel's military and enhance u.s embassy security so what does strength and military mean to you when we are talking about being in a conflict and killing or I mean, killing, murdering, com- com- committing a genocide against people? It would still be more fighting in a sense if we're beefing up the, the military. It'd just be adding fire. I understand like there's something maybe because you can't just leave them high and dry maybe. But if we're adding more to the military, then that's encouraging them to fight back more and harder. Yeah. Yeah. And what do you mean by leaving them high and dry? Like, why couldn't we just say, oh, you know what? We're not going to support genocide and we're not going to provide you with weapons and a stronger military base and missile support. Well, I don't really I feel, like you do, I feel like you can't really do that because then if you did it, then it would cause them to just be destroyed. So you still have to do military support, but I feel like there is should be way to like balance it out. So they do have military support in case they get attacked, but they also need a way to um, just like basic needs. Because I do believe I read something that said that most of the people are kind of surviving on international assistance. So assistance from USA, assistance from other continents and countries, they're not able to survive on their own. So if they stop receiving that assistance or if it all goes towards military assistance, they won't be able to have their basic needs. Uh, Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, I I disagree a little bit. I think that there would be nothing wrong with leaving them high and dry. I was saying like, if we didn't, but like, since they have such a powerful, I mean, they're they're pretty much on the attack, I think, pretty sure. But uh, there wouldn't be an inherent problem with leaving them high and dry because of what they already have. And so adding to that would just be helping them more than they need to be helped, in my opinion. Well, I also well, I also feel like we've already been supporting them. So like just randomly cutting it off would be kind of weird if it's I, I feel like they would expect to have this much and then half of it goes away. Now stuff has to be cut down, supplies have to be reduced, et cetera, et cetera. That's a really interesting point, Aiden. So I want to bring it back to this, the example we started with, right, which is someone to something of yours. So just to make sure I'm understanding, you're saying that if someone came to take your bike and then the stranger, right, let's say person A, person A takes your bike and then now person B is the getaway car, right? They're like, oh, i help you get this bike off the block and unlock it. So now person B says, you know what? I'm actually going to stop providing you 
with the materials you need to unlock the bike. And I'm not going to be a getaway car that person B shouldn't do that. Well, if you're asking when you me. put it like that, yeah. Well, when you put it like that, yeah. I, I think I might may have misunderstood it a little. Uh, well, makes it easier to understand when you put it like that. So that Herman would be right in that, yeah. Or not even, not even like I don't want to say right or wrong. I mean, there are some instances where it's a clear right or wrong, right? Like, I mean, yeah. I don't think there's any way either of us should be on here trying to justify genocide, right? And but people are doing it. I mean, we're watching Biden justify it. I'm going to play a clip soon. We're watching Biden, who's the president of the United States, right? And he talks about, oh, how wonderful the United States is justify cutting off food, electricity, Wi-Fi, bombing people in the middle of the night, bombing hospitals who justify it. He's found a way. And so has other people. So it's not that like, I think what that shows is how sometimes we are so stuck in status quo of thinking, well, the military is the norm. We need weapons. We need um, someone to provide more resources because how will we defend ourselves? When we operate on that's the norm, sometimes it's hard to envision a world outside of it's hard to envision a world we can align with our values and morals and say, actually, I don't agree with supplying weapons to kill people that can't even, don't even have the same amount of weapons as you, you know? So mm, yeah. I, I, I'm glad that you were receptive to me simplifying it that way, because I feel like when we simplify it like that, everyone then can understand, well, like you have one person who basically has grenades and another person who has knives in this fight. This does not balance, you know? And the origin of it is not balanced because this is not about two people that have been living here and coexisting. It never was about that. It's about someone coming in saying, this is mine. And there has been years, like so many years of conflict between these people. And then people with more resources supporting the person who came in to start the problem, you know? Yeah. yeah. And I'd say it's like, it's not, it's not even, well, I could see if it was like, like closer, like a, a, a fair fight, but it's, it's not even a fair fight. It's like, Hey, we. I think. I think the um at, at the at like at the very beginning of the war, maybe the Hamas might have started it, but like the the level that they the um the Israelites have taken it to is not even compare or not yeah not even comparable to like the initial attack. It's not even an attack for real. And then they've not only prolonged it but like exaggerated it, and now now it's a war. And like like for what? So you can be so you can take over more land essentially and that that that's where we find the problem because it's not like okay i'm gonna get you back right it's no <laughs> you don't deserve to live anymore like like who who gets to decide that right and that that's the crazy part and that's why we shouldn't be in my opinion that's why we shouldn't be supporting them because it's not it's not close it's it's not a fair fight anymore like you said knives and guns and the amount of guns they have to so the amount of guns we have it's it's just a massacre like like i said genocide and if you put it like that, then yeah, we're supporting a genocide, and that shouldn't be what we should be saying for you know America. But you know, we got yeah. our, our problems. <laughs> we got problems. <laughs> so I want to play. Well, it's actually two clips. So I'm gonna let you decide which one would be more interest interesting. Um, I have one clip that spoke to what you said about Hamas, right? All of this people think started because oh, Hamas, you know, took hostages and killed people in a um in a concert i don't know i feel like this whole war has been maybe exaggerated a bit extreme but i can't i don't understand like some of the um significance maybe like some of the the cultural significance of that so maybe like they could have like that in a, a way that meant that they needed to you know retaliate two times that and then the israelites they said oh yeah we're gonna go two times well maybe not two times but a hundred times that you know something like that yeah i don't know if they didn't write israelites i wanted to say that but you mean like israelis yeah, Israelis, yeah. I guess. Yeah, you're right. Um, So I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I think that's something that you should think about, right? What is the difference between saying I am defending myself and the difference between I'm looking for any excuse to annihilate you? Yeah, that's a good point. Well, I mean, I feel like that's a clear cut difference. Like, you can't really. It's not. There's <laughs> not a halfway for that. Like, oh man, I, I accidentally annihilated your whole population. You know, but in all seriousness, like, like you, you know what you're doing, right? And I, I'm pretty sure he made like a decree about it. Also, like, oh yeah, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna go to war with them and we're gonna murder them now because we want their land. And you know, now we can justify it because they did something to us first. Like, that's that, that's not it. 
there you go. Now, the last thing I'm going to share before we play this video is, to me, I mean, to me, all of it's proof of it, right? The creation of Zionism is literally saying, I'm going to make, like, I mean, you were, like, that's the decree. Like, I was founded, the, the purpose of this was founded to do that. And if that means genocide. I think the other piece that really sticks out to me that proves, like, actually, you're just looking for anything, is when Hamas released two hostages, and the hostages were calm. And they were like, oh, they gave me medicine. Like, there's literally a video. They gave me medicine, and I was well-fed. Like, I'm fine. And somehow, not somehow, because it's intentional, the media portrayal on the other end, when you don't see Hamas, when you don't see um, uh, hostages, is like, oh, they're evil, they're torturing them, you know? And then it's like, oh, snap, you were actually treating this person with some form of compassion, right? Right, yeah, I remember that. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Israeli newspaper is reporting that an Israeli army helicopter may have fired on partygoers at the dance festival that was attacked by Hamas fighters on October the 7th. More than 360 people were killed at the festival in southern Israel. Haaretz is quoting an unnamed police source citing an investigation. Well, according to the paper, a combat helicopter arriving at the scene fired on Hamas fighters and apparently also hit some festival participants. The paper also says Hamas did not plan the attack on the Nova Music Festival, but chose to do it spontaneously. Let's speak now to Hamda Salhout. She's in occupied East Jerusalem for us. So pretty extraordinary revelations, Hamda. Talk to us about this investigation that's being reported. Well, a few different findings in this police report that was leaked by an official to Haaretz. The first one was that Hamas's attack on the Nova Music Festival on October 7th was not premeditated, and there wasn't really a way for them to have prior knowledge about the festival, specifically on that Saturday, because or the organizers for the event requested an extension of the party. So it was actually only supposed to be held on Thursday and Friday, but after approval from the army, it was also extended to Saturday. The second revelation was that an Israeli attack helicopter that was dispatched to shoot on Hamas fighters at the scene may have apparently killed some Israelis fleeing the area as well. And the third thing that it mentions, the security officials are now sure in their assertion, according to the sources in the Haaretz piece, that the there were around 4,400 festival goers and that the party actually ended once the red alert sirens and interceptions were heard overhead and that the gunfire happened 30 minutes later. So in the beginning stages, when the rocket fire was happening, that's actually when most of the people began to flee. And then 30 minutes after is when the the exchanges of fire started to happen. And also, Hamda, what's the latest we've been hearing there from the Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu? Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu in his nightly address speaking about a variety of topics. The main one really is the issue of the captives, saying that there's no deal whatsoever on the table and that there's not going to be a ceasefire until the, they are brought back into Israeli territory. Now, something interesting that he noted was the growing international pressure against Israel and their continuous military campaign and assault on the Gaza Strip. He said that he had to start allowing aid into Gaza because international support was waning and there was no way the international community, even allies, were going to stand by Israel and continue supporting them in their war. He said that it came with pressure from the United States, even though the U.S. is a big Israel backer when it comes to weapons and munitions. But the Israeli prime minister said that he himself is trying to change the narrative by talking to American media almost every day, Laura. Okay, Hamda Salhout brings the latest from Occupied East Jerusalem. Thanks, Hamda. I feel like this gave me some context into something that I would need to know. Mm, that makes sense. Yeah. So, was this your first time hearing? Okay, so that definitely changes the question I was going to ask. So maybe Eden, you can speak to this too. Was this your first time hearing about that? Yes, yes this was my first time. Yeah. Oh, okay. So here's my challenge to you because honestly, the questions won't even make sense if you didn't know the back story so this video right like i shared this it is this news came out recently um compared to when october 7th originally happened everything was saying oh hamas planned an attack on festival goers so everyone was like you know 
this was an intention to wipe out um, people that are Israeli and this is anti-Semitic because they planned an attack where people were supposed to have, you know, supposed to be a joyous occasion. But what you just heard in this video was what? That Israel itself, right? IDF. Yeah. Attacked, they attacked their own people. We're now two months into this genocide and American journalists and some media outlets are finally starting to reveal the full story. The truth, if you will. Thanks to this video that I just played, we know that Hamas did not plan to kill civilians at the festival. So if that wasn't the plan, then what was? Hamas wanted to attack Israel's military. They breached the security gate, they turned off cameras, and they surprised military troops. The only thing that wasn't a surprise was this plan. This plan had been brewing for a year, and Israel intelligence actually read the plans, dismissed it as impossible and audacious. It's so interesting to think about how ego got in the way. Israeli government officials assumed that their military was too intelligent, their power too intimidating for Hamas to ever attack. Which probably leads you to the next natural assumption or question, which is, why would Hamas attack the military? And wouldn't it be fair game for Israel to attack back if there was a, a threat or a breach in security? Well, to simplify the reason, it was a game of chess. Hamas figured if we capture hostages right at this festival, if we show Israel uh, that we too are powerful, not equally as powerful as we know, the level of weapons and support that Hamas has is not as much as Israel. Um, but if we show you, you know what, we're capable of doing something somewhat similar or at least fighting back, then maybe you'll return the hostages that you've taken over the years and we'll agree to swap, right? We'll swap out the hostages that we took from the festival and you'll swap out the hostages that you have been, that you've had detained for years. And the proof of this is again to this New York Times article. The New York Times um, recently released a article saying that there's a 40 page strategy. And in this document, it says, in quote, an invasion and hostage taken would lead to severe damage to the consciousness and morale of the citizens of Israel. Unfortunately, this 40-page document is not yet publicly available, or at least I couldn't find it. I'm hoping that it will come out because I'm at the stage where I want to read everything. Um, but we're taking the word of the New York Times. And if we take their word, let's think about how powerful and how accurate that one sentence is. We are watching Israel cut off water supplies, bomb schools and hospitals, bomb um, sacred religious places. And then tell people to move to places that will be safe from the war to then bomb those places. We are watching Israel say that the entire war started because Hamas and citizens that were killed at our concert. But they're failing to mention that they killed their own citizens. They're failing to mention that Hamas wanted to exchange hostages that were taken over the years. They're failing to mention that some of these hostages that Hamas wanted to negotiate are actually children. They're failing to mention that Israel used administrative detention, which essentially is a means of capturing and arresting people without trial. And that most importantly, they're failing to mention that over 20 years, Israel has used administrative detention to detain children ages 12 to 17. And Israel is actually the only state which prosecutes children in military court, often without lawyers or parental representation. And some, maybe not all, but some of the reasons that these children were placed into these prisons and became uh, prisoners is because they threw stones at IDF soldiers and they assembled in places and so on and graffiti. Like really just sit with that. You're 12 to 17 and you are being tried like an adult in military court where all of the traditional processes are thrown out the window for some of these reasons. And for years, I mean years, human rights organizations such as Amnesty International and others have documented the degrading, violent and brutal conditions that Israel subjected young Palestinian prisoners to. Yet. 
For years, New York Times, BCC, all these other media outlets did not report on this, at least to my knowledge. Maybe it's somewhere down in there and I'll have to do more digging and I encourage you to do so. But I have never seen on CNN or any other reports from the White House or anywhere else what was happening all of these years. It took October 7th and a subsequent very now public genocide for the world to be aware of what Israel has been doing for years. And now I want to return to the quote. I want to return to the quote that said, an invasion and hostage taken would lead to severe damage to the consciousness and morale of citizens of Israel. Let's dissect this choice of words. Morale by Merriam-Webster is defined as principles and conduct of right and wrong. So how are you defining right and wrong? It's also defined as one's ability to maintain confidence and devotion to a group or an institution's cause. So here are my questions to you. What actions did Israel take that would cause people, its citizens, people globally, to lose confidence in its ability to lead? I'm going to give you some. The first is that Israel is beginning to flood tunnels with seawater, which is allegedly where Israeli hostages are being held. So this should prompt citizens to ask, does Israel actually care about the safe return of its citizens? Citizens are begging their government to stop bombing as it will impact their ability to be released and will make things worse for people that are being detained. And yet Israel is continuing. What about using white phosphorus on civilians? The next question that I encourage you to sit with and that I will also answer for you is what would Jewish people start to see as wrong, right? How would Israel's actions begin to impact the morale, right, of how they are starting to see what is right and what is wrong? Okay, number one, Palestinian reporters are being killed by Israel's missiles, This is censorship, right? And then the next level is in order to see images and hear on the ground stories, we have to listen to the voices of those who are directly impacted, which means we have to go beyond the media outlets that are in the United States. We need to really see and hear what's happening um, from the voice of Palestinians. I've had to go to social media and find Palestinian journalists to receive these real-time updates. But earlier in the war, Israel shut off Gaza's access to the internet. So what does that do? That increases censorship. It leads to a dangerous single narrative. Israelis also, Israelis that posted on social media, their support for Gaza were also arrested and detained. Globally, university presidents are being called to resign. People are losing their jobs for speaking out. They're afraid to post their support for Gaza and Palestinians in fear of retaliation, a fear of losing friends. And I want to share this with you. When I was in high school, right, so much like you two listening or on here with me now, um, I learned about the Holocaust in a poem that really stuck with me when I was young. And it's called First They Came For Me. Well, first they came and it says, first they came for the communists and I did not speak out because I was not a communist. Then they came for the socialists and I did not speak out because I was not a socialist. Then they came for trade unionists and I did not speak out because I was not a trade unionist. Then they came for the Jews and I did not speak out because I was not a Jew. Then they came for me and there was no one left to speak out for me. This author, during this time of the Holocaust, spoke out against Nazis and what they were doing and what Hitler was doing. And he was detained, just like what's being done now. History is repeating itself. If you are standing up for what you see is right, you are being considered the problem. It doesn't just stop there. Here are other things that should concern both people of Jewish descent as well as, honestly, anyone in the world. In northern Gaza, 9 out of 10 Palestinians are going an entire day without eating. And that is because Israel is starving them. Due to bombing, there's limited access to food, right? So supermarkets have been destroyed. Um, And then when humanitarian aid trucks attempted to come through when there was that temporary ceasefire, it's actually impossible to safely distribute food when there's constant bombing. So without a ceasefire, people cannot actually 
get the food that they need. There are so many parallels, so many, to what happened during the Holocaust to Jewish people at the hands of Nazis. And it's disturbing, so disturbing, to think that we as a society are watching this happen again to someone else. The other thing is that, um, as of recently, Israel has shot people execution style that were hiding out, or let me not say hiding, that were taking refuge at a school. At the Shadia Abu Ghazala school um, in Gaza, where it's close to refugee camp, there were families that were there, including a newborn baby. And there was recent footage, a video that's incredibly gruesome, and um, reporting from Al Jazeera that all of those people were shot at in close range, right? So like at a point blank period, um, not from a missile, not from a bomb, but from a gun. The way I want to end this um, is by saying something that is incredibly controversial, which I've already just touched on. But I'm saying this in hopes that you'll see parallels and that you'll develop some additional empathy. Censorship, execution style shooting, starving people, rounding up men and stripping them to their underwear and blindfolding them, as we've seen in videos circulating online and that the Times of Israel has also posted, are tactics that were used during the Holocaust against Jewish people. When you realize and utilize these same tactics that cause your ancestors trauma and destroy generations, you become the same monster you ran from. We need to envision a world where Jewish people see that their liberation and their existence does not have to come at the expense of another. That holding on to ideas of removing people from their land and murdering them is a tool of white supremacy. We need to envision a world where we can all be free. And just to bring it back to the quote that was, or the comment that was listed in this 40-page strategy about consciousness, I will have to speak for myself when I say that this war, this genocide has absolutely shifted my consciousness. The world is saying no more genocide and the United States is saying keep going. If that doesn't change your consciousness, I'm not sure what will. The time that we have left, how I'd like to end this is by doing the following. And that is just talking about the United States um, and our longstanding support of Zionism as well as specifically, you know, Israel, and then moving towards how are the systems of oppression connected, right? Because I would like to, yeah, I'm going to talk about how we're going to identify because I'm not Palestinian. I don't think either y'all are Palestinian, but what's happening in Palestine impacts us all. What's happening in Sudan? What's happening, I mean, around the world, right? Like we are all connected. And especially as we think about like colonialism and imperialism. So I'm going to play this video for Biden and then we're going to kind of skip on to talking about how these systems are connected. It's about time we stop those of us who support, as most of us do, Israel in this body, for apologizing for our support for Israel. There's no apology to be made, none. It is the best $3 billion investment we make. Were there not an Israel, the United States of America would have to invent an Israel to protect her interest in the region. The United States would have to go out and invent an Israel. The second part is people should understand by now that should be crystal clear that Israel, Israel is the single greatest strength America has in the Middle East. I always say to my friends when they say those things to you, I say imagine our circumstance in the world were there no Israel. How many battleships would there be? How many troops would be stationed? You know, I used to say, early on when I was a kid, I'd say, when I was a young senator, I'd say, if I were a Jew, I'd be a Zionist. I am a Zionist. You don't have to be a Jew to be a Zionist. Progress occurs in the Middle East when everyone knows there's simply no space between the United States and Israel. There is no space between the United States and Israel when it comes to Israel's security. There is only one nation, only one nation in the world that has unequivocally, without hesitation, and consistently confronted the efforts to delegitimize Israel. 
At every point in our administration, at every juncture, we've stood up on the legitimacy, on behalf of the legitimacy of the state of Israel. The security of Israel and the United States is inextricably tied. And we will never, ever, ever abandon Israel out of our own self-interest. I also emphasize what I've said throughout this conflict. The United States fully supports Israel's right to defend itself against indiscriminate rocket attacks from Hamas and other Gaza-based terrorist groups that have taken the lives of innocent civilians in Israel. Okay, so that video highlights the long-standing history. I mean, this was so many years ago, right? This is before Biden is president now. Um, that his views have been consistent, right? He has put his money where his mouth is. Or I should say our money because we're funding this war. We as in like people that pay taxes, right? And um, so I just, I had to share that because I would like to know what in that video, if anything, like what is a sentence, a line, a word that really stuck out to you? You said that uh, he's he's not a Jew, but he's still Zionist. Yeah, that just kind of really stuck out to me because I was like, and I didn't know like that his history of pro of him supporting Israel had gone back that far, even before he was president, like a long time back. I didn't know it went back that far. Uh, I'd say that we can't anti well. The Little Five Points Community Center celebrates its annual festive holiday open house on December 2nd, 11 a.m. to 6 p.m. This joyous event is a day filled with holiday cheer, featuring a diverse array of activities for all ages. The center's art studios will be open to the public, providing a unique opportunity to witness creativity in action. Attendees can stroll through the enchanting space, engaging with artists and gaining insight into their creative process. The heart of the event lies in the collaborative efforts of the tenants, guests, and their suites, all of whom will proudly showcase their products. This is an excellent chance to support local businesses and artisans. In the spirit of community engagement, we are actively seeking volunteers to contribute to the success of this event. If you are interested, the contact person is Kathleen Pusco at kbusco 3 at gmail.com. Again, the Community Center at Little Five Points 2023 Open House will take place on December 2nd, 11 a.m. to 6 p.m. for a day of holiday magic, community spirit, and joyful festivities. The Little Five Points Community Center is a 501c3 nonprofit organization and serves as a hub for creativity, culture, and community in the heart of Atlanta. For those seeking more information about the Open House, the contact email is little 5 pcc at gmail.com and the phone number is 404-522-2926. This has been another public service announcement brought to you by your listener-sponsored and supported community radio, 89.3 FM, WRFG.org. Your station for progressive information and hand-picked quality music. I guess I'll, I'll reference what he said from not going to, but he was like, um, if there was no Israel, then, you know, where would we be? And just talking about the significance of Israel. And I think we can't completely disqualify that because it probably, or there, there was certain times where we needed Israel, uh, because they're across the sea and, you know, uh, it would help to get communication out and sanctions and the, in the stationaries and whatnot. But, even so, there has to be like a, a line between, you know, right and wrong, like justice and immoral, moral versus immoral. And we have to like see that and recognize them while we can't completely stop funding. Right. Because maybe that would, you know, prevent future trade or, or something that could have an impact on the economy. But we shouldn't be funding it to the extent that we're funding them at like one hundred and five billion dollars. Like, How much of a difference will it matter if we fund them like one million, two million as opposed to, or even 30 or but like 105 like really and i think that yeah i'd say that that's why i agree and disagree yeah so i think my question to you and this is since it's like interesting that kind of coming up again but in a different way um similar to what aiden has shared earlier when i asked him like okay well why can't we so i guess my question to you is like 
when you heard that, right? And you, something came to your mind. I had to. Something came to your mind when you heard him say, well, where will we be with Israel? So you mentioned economics, right? And sanctions and needing trade and whatever else. So my question to you is, to ha- did you think about why, what is there, right? What is there in Palestine that the U.S. benefits from so much that they are willing to participate in genocide to remove people and call it Israel? Mm, I'm not sure. But what I was thinking when I heard that was of the sheer, um, not dominance, but how big Israel is as a whole. And so while I may not know like the specific benefits that we may have, I would say that there's a point for us to be supporting them, whether that is because they're big and they allow us for more, uh, not even just trade with Israel, but more access to people out there. Or if it's, hey, they're bigger, so they have a military so they can help us in their time of need or or anything of the above. So I'm not sure what it is per se, but okay. I, I would like to believe there is something. You say you want to do what? Sorry, I, didn't know I said I would like to believe that, that there would be something. Okay, so my challenge to you, right, as we think about really what it means, what liberation means, and what that looks like, and what world we'd like to live in, to really figure out what is there, like what is there that's so important that we have to give any money. I mean, you say we could reduce the money, but that we have to give any money to someone that is, um, again, willing to wipe out several bloodlines to claim that space. Like what, what, how can we justify any amount of money, any amount of support to say, oh, we need that there. And we need this to occur in order for our interests to stay there. And then the question is, right, and this is where we should kind of connect it to what else has happened in history of like, what side of history will you be on? Will I be on? Our family members be on? You know, years ago, well, let's see, centuries ago, um, when the quote unquote founding of America, right, it is very similar. It's this idea of who? Colonists coming to a place where people already existed, right? Indigenous Native American people of different nations coming here and saying, you know what? You, you just didn't handle this land well. We want, this is the place we discovered and we're going to stay here at the expense of what? Lives lost because we had interest. And the same thing, it sounds like that same kind of line of thinking is now being applied to what's happening in Palestine and Israel um, and specifically like the U.S. stake in it. So I think the question now, right, that maybe you can't personally identify, so think about a historical instance of something that you can relate to of like, whether that be, you know, slavery or whether it be people moving in gentrification, people moving into your community and changing the resources that you have. Like, how would you want other people to respond to that? And at what point, maybe this is a rhetorical question, but at what point can we say we have to stop putting money over people? Uh, that's, a, that's a good point, actually. In the, uh, yeah. That, that's actually a very good point because I do believe that um money shouldn't come over the, well you know of course the the inherent things like hey you need money to make people you need people to make money and stuff of that sort but uh, if we're looking at it from like a moral moral and ethical standpoint right capitalism is inherently bad right but yeah we don't care but when it because I mean it is killing people but it's not like directly killing people maybe indirectly Right, so it's not well. I mean, I'm not gonna say it's not a big deal, but anyway, some people now. No, 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 no. Wait, sorry, not to cut you off, but that's important because you're saying capital is not directly killing people, but it is. Our state, I don't want to say ours, not mine. Biden and the rest of the United States' interest in quote unquote Israel in Palestine is directly connected to capitalism. So, in order to maintain that capitalist interest, right, whether it be oil, whether it be resources, whether it be supporting you know white supremacy whatever it be it's at the expense of people so capitalism is killing people so i mean it's, it's really more colonialism right but they're connected so that's what's killing people right. okay no i can see that that's a really good point also but yeah it's, i was going to talk about the moral and ethical standpoint of you know we can't put a, a price on life because you know we're not the creators of life we don't have anything to do with the creation of life so how can we decide someone else's value on life and make that more or less important than money uh, but yeah and we're talking about capitalism still on that side and, and well i think yeah like you said it's more colonialism but since we're supporting it then it's capitalism right because the u.s part in it is capitalism and whereas the inherent 
movement of uh, Israel into Palestine is colonialism. Uh, but yeah, like you said, if we're connecting it back to something that happened in the United States or connecting it back to us, uh, gentrification, like you said, that's it's always, you know, here it's being more and more prevalent in society, or at least in Atlanta nowadays, just because we have the white flight, I want to say, where everybody moved out of the city because African-Americans were coming in. And now we're seeing a more uh, coming back into the uh, cities. Even, I think my school, not it's not being affected right now, but they're building ones up to uh, bring a track. You know, I said that's my connection personally. Yeah. Or I would, uh, I would connect it as you were talking about earlier to indigenous people. So how they were killed for their resources is I would connect that to how Palestinians were killed for their resources and by re. Their resource in this case would be lands, because I do believe they're going for the conquest of lands because they've been. Yeah, that that makes sense. Yeah, that's thank you for that drawing those parallels. Right, I feel like it helps us see that everything we're seeing now, right, at some point will be so so old and it'll be played out in textbooks. It'll be you know the narrative will change and you have to ask yourself what side of history are you going to stand on, right? Sometimes it's so easy to be sitting in it that you can't see the fog and you can't see the past, which is like, when you do, it's like, oh my goodness, all this is connected. All this has happened again. But now it's worse because we should be smarter. We have more resources, right? You have social media where like things can get out and hopefully change your perspective and allow people to say, you know what? I'm not going to support this because I've seen this by another name, right? We'll see what happens to indigenous people. Now in the little brief time that we have left to then connect this to our liberation. So just since someone can see us, you know, how do you all identify, like, ethnically or racially? Um, African-American. African-American as well. Okay, not identify as Black as well. So I ask because I want us to understand how, again, like, our liberation is connected. Our struggles are connected. And um, one clear connection, the same tactics that were you that are used in Israel um, to Palestinians are taught to United States police officers. And the way that they're able to learn these oppressive tactics um, is through things like the Georgia International Law Enforcement Exchange or G-I-L-E-E. The knee to neck restraint that was used to murder George Floyd is the same tactic that Israeli, so IDF officers use against Palestinians. So when Palestine is nowhere near Georgia, and when we think about really how it's connected, and again, based over the video what Biden said of like our interest, what really is the interest? And who is impact negatively impacted by this quote unquote interest? And time and time again, it's historically marginalized people of color, you know, black people, Palestinians, Latinx, et cetera. <laughs> now in terms of what we can do, um, something that we can do, you can call representatives. Um, you can call and you can share, hi, my name is blank and I'm calling because I support a ceasefire, right? Or take it a step further. I want to end the occupation in Palestine and I want to know where you stand and I'm letting you know that this is where I stand and then see how they respond. But the calling applies pressure, which does make a difference. The next thing you can do is boycott. I suggest that anyone listening, especially you all, look into something called BDS movement. That's BDS movement. On that movement, it'll actually tell you a list of foundations, corporations that support and fund Israel and for us to boycott it. And why that's important is because in order to get resources, in order to get additional funding for war, you have to have money. So if we're constantly putting our money to these companies and our money is going to Israel, how do we stop the resources from being shared? We stop giving them the money. Right. Now, in a long time, but what do you all have that you'd like to like something that you thought about of a way that you can support? Uh, since I enjoy cooking, uh, so even if I was able to get mass packages and send them somewhere where they can go to Israel, that was just an idea because even though it might be unattainable right now, it might not be in the future. So I love that idea. I love that, and I love the idea of sending food to Palestine, um, because what that does is it allows you to then bring in joy. What about you, Herman? Um, I'd say the biggest thing would be trying to bring awareness. So, like speaking on it whenever I can, like stuff like this, or um, maybe continuously keeping up on Instagram or uh, other forms of social media. 
Um, is there anything that you'd like the listeners to take away from this conversation? Just think of one thing that you say, you know, I hope that by tuning in today to rethink, you were able to. Uh, I hope by tuning in to rethink, you were able to get a better understanding of what is going on in the conflict in Palestine and that you are motivated to call, uh, call your congressman and request for a ceasefire. I hope we're able to understand the, the impacts of what's happening in Israel and Palestine. I want you to understand the, the history, what made it, why it is today, and then how it connects to us as not only as individuals, but um, listeners as humans, as in a humanitarian aspect and how you could take that and be motivated to apply an ambition to this and other things. Um, yeah. Thank you so much. Um, and my hope for everyone tuning in is that you see that it's important to continue to spread um, important information so that way we can all be aware of how both our struggles as well as our liberation is connected. Um, and thank you. Thank you for tuning in.